You're listening to the Fit Mind, Fit Body podcast, where we explore the connection between a fit body and positive mental health. And our big mission, it's to help 10,000 runners to develop fitter minds in the next two years. I'm your host, Michelle Frost. Let's get moving. Welcome to this episode of the Fit Mind, Fit Body podcast. Today, we chat with Fergus Edwards. He says that when he is running, he's just happy. Isn't that wonderful? Enjoy. Today on Fit Mind, Fit Body, I am excited, like I am every week, but I really am excited to talk to Fergus Edwards because I did speak to his lovely wife just recently. So welcome, Fergus. Thank you very much, Michelle. Very happy to be with you. Thank you for agreeing. I know uh, I've only, I've had a couple of husband and wives, a couple of partners and a couple of siblings. I don't think I've had a father and a daughter kind of, anyway, so we have had a couple of family things, which is really nice when, when you see families that, um, you know, enjoy doing the same kind of thing. It's kind of, yeah, my Simon, I'm, those of you who haven't listened, Simon, my husband, has done a podcast, but it's called The Reluctant Runner because he, a podcast episode with me because he doesn't like running that much and he thinks that I make him do it. But um, <laughs> it is a lovely thing for us to do together nonetheless. Let us start with you, Fergus. Tell me a little bit about your background. Where did you grow up? Sure. Well, you can tell from the accent. Uh, mm-hmm. not over here to begin with. No. So I was born in London and grew up about a half hour train ride outside the big city. Yeah. Uh, so a little bit of countryside uh, for the first ooh, 10, 15 years. Yeah. Uh, and then I stayed at school in the UK while my family, so my parents, my brother, and at the time, my very little sister went over to the US. Yeah. So I had a couple of years boarding uh, there. Oh. They went to the States and since 15, I figured out that I didn't live in the same country for more than three years in a row uh, until Kate and I got back to London uh, a little while back. And obviously that didn't last all that long because then we ended up here in Tasmania. So, yeah, so lots of lots of travel. But for the first for that first little bit, it was very much in England at school just outside London. So whereabouts just outside London, just because I'm nosy. Uh, if you took the train out of Liverpool Street and you were heading towards South End in Essex, you'd be about halfway there. Ah, towards, yeah. My, my so dad's it's, from it's, Surrey the other way. Oh, yeah, posh bit. Not like, yeah. uh, not like the Essex side. <laughs> the home camp. Yes. <laughs> or something. I don't one. know where you're going. <laughs> anyway. That's the one. Oh, that's interesting. So um, what kind of sport did you do? Did you do like cricket and things like that? Tell me about So that. my dad is a Scot and my mother is English. And the Scottish side of the family was always very um, athletic, very uh, into sports. And the English side was not at all. Mm-hmm. Um, so as a kid, we were encouraged, uh, my brother and as far as I'm aware, my sister as well, encouraged to have a crack at absolutely everything. But awesome. in a tiny little town where it was, you know, one class at primary school. So you could you could rate yourself pretty good at sports if you had decent hand-eye coordination, and that's all I ever had. So there was a bit of soccer. Uh, there was a bit of running up and down a field, pretending it was athletics. Um, you know, there was uh, there was a little bit of cricket, bits and pieces like that. 
but nothing, oh. nothing, nothing serious, nothing competitive. Yeah. Secondary school, so from the age of about sort of 10, 11 onwards, um, there were organized games at school. Um, so, you know, you were, you were off doing soccer, you were off doing athletics on a track, which was quite exciting. Again, a little bit of cricket. Um, and I think my parents were very keen that there was always a social sport. So there was always right. a soccer team in winter, mm-hmm. um, uh, just so that we were mixing with other kids and yeah. uh, just running around yeah. outdoors, really. Yeah. That was it. There was no, there was nothing more than that at all. I, um, I grew up on King Island, so that sounds a little mm. bit like my school. <laughs> I was I yes, did very yeah, so, well actually at sports school, but yeah, there wasn't so if, a lot if you're, of if you're the kid that can catch the tennis ball, you're doing pretty well. Yeah, huh? yeah, yeah, yeah. I totally totally understand that. Did you, <laughs> your parents um, were they sporty? Or did they do things as adults that were, you know, outdoorsy um, so sporty type? My, my dad's side of the family, as I say, they were Ooh. they were properly sporty. So my uh, my uncle actually signed as a professional soccer player when he was eighteen. Oh, wow um and that side of the family had a mix of, of my dad's sport was rugby he was very good he played water polo at uh, a representative level um when he was in scotland and other bits and pieces like that so there was yeah. there was a history of sport in that whole side of the family not just mm. the two of them but throughout um, and i'm sure i'm underplaying all their achievements <laughs> but for us as kids growing up we didn't really see or feel much of that okay. um you know, he was off working um you know five days a week until mm you know, late in the evening. Um, and because both my parents worked, uh, we were looked after by a couple whose son was a really good athlete. He was 15 years older than me. So mm-hmm. effectively my big brother, and he was a 400 meter hurdle runner. And he had copies of athletics magazines lying around all over the place. Wow. So we had a great example of someone who was very seriously into their sport when yeah. we were growing up, but it wasn't necessarily our parents. Do you, oh, this is a silly question. I don't think I've ever asked it. Do you ever remember not feeling like you wanted to get out and do stuff and be, you know, sporty no. and move things? <laughs> That's what I thought you said. <laughs> it's, it's, there's, it, my, my parents will tell a famous story that for about 15 years, if I was asked what my favourite book was, it was the Mr. Man book, Mr. Rush. Ah, um, yes. Mr. Rush, if you've ever read it, I mean, you know, it's a weighty tome, but uh, Mr. Rush just runs around the whole place and he's too fast for all the jobs that he tries to get until finally he becomes a postman. And having succeeded as a postman, he then goes and sits and drinks pina coladas on a beach. So, I, you know, there you was a fair while where, yeah, that, that, was, that was the model I think I was going for as a kid. Oh, I love that. Okay, so you're, obviously, you're in boarding school. Was there... I guess I guess they tried to keep you fit and organised there too when it comes to yeah the odd the, so the odd thing about boarding school for me was that I went for the last two years of school mm-hmm. when the family oh, yeah. moved to mm-hmm. the US so at mm-hmm. that point you kind of know who you are and what you're doing and the yeah. fact that your folk aren't around is actually you grow up a little bit earlier than you otherwise might do yeah. but it feels about the right sort of time for things so the big difference for me was that as um, as I was at boarding school by myself. I was aware that I was about to go to university one way or the other. Yeah. And I started thinking about what a career might look like afterwards. Yeah. And there was a period for me for about four or, f- well, yeah, four or five years where the career option or a career option was going to be the military. So oh, wow. I spent a couple of years um, at school getting ready in case I pursued either the Royal Marines mm-hmm. or the Royal Parachute Regiment as a career. So I was really concerned to be fit and healthy, mm. but it was not a case of getting fit and healthy to play sport in and of yeah. itself. Yeah. Um, and so I had a slightly 
different attitude to being outside and to the way that I would um, you know, want to be outside running around. I would want to be outside running around with a pack on my back or running up hills um, because it was a chance, there was a good chance that was what my wow. career was going to be. So you're very, um, you, I mean, I know a little bit about what you've, some of the things you've done uh, in regards hmm. to running anyway. And it feels like you're really quite a driven person, but even from that young age, would you say that? You're quite yeah. driven. Like, you, you know, you have a goal and then you're quite driven to achieve that. Yes. And, and that was that was true across the board. It wasn't just sports. That was yeah. academically as well. So, um, yeah, it's, it's always nice to have little targets that you can then meet yeah. And, yeah. and tick off and say, oh, yeah, I did that thing that I wanted to do. Um, yeah. And, yeah, that, that was true across both spaces. But it was certainly true um, in terms of sort of fitness at, at that age. And it was true all the way through university. I mean, I was training with different university teams, even though I wasn't representing them because I thought it might be useful. Mm -hmm. So I'd never boxed before. Um, I um, trained with um, the Oxford boxing team um, for oh, about a term and a half, um, wow. which was incredibly um, good fun. Never, yep. um, never got to fight, unfortunately, but, um, but enjoyed the training. Mm -hmm. uh, I, was, I learned to play rugby, which rugby union, not rugby league, yep. which doesn't sound particularly odd. Um, but I hadn't picked up a rugby ball until I was 15 years old because I'd only ever been at a school with soccer. But I thought that's the sort of thing that, you know, I'll, I, there's some some physical training in there that I might need. So I'll do wow. that. Um, so lots of lots of uh, different things. Um, tried yeah. rowing for a term or two. Mm -hmm. Now I get to see the rowers out on uh, on the esk every morning yeah. and think, oh, yeah, I did that. And I'm not getting up that early to do that again. Good grief. <laughs> it's too cold. Yeah. And oh, I could go uh, running instead. Right. Well, you probably should listen to my husband's episode because that's what he was. <laughs> he was uh, a runner. He talks a bit about that. Um, they're a different breed. Yeah, they are. Um, <laughs> so you went to uni, obviously. And you yep. said, so what did you do? What did you do at uni? Um, so I read philosophy, politics and economics at Oxford. Wow, that kind of sounds very academic. <laughs> that was good fun. It was, yeah, no, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it. It was, um, it, it, the, the terms at Oxford are really short. So okay. you have a very high, intense, high pressure in-person environment for about eight or nine weeks. Mm -hmm. And then you're off uh, on vacation to get your reading done. Yeah. So the aim is that when you were at university, and this is back in the 90s, yeah. uh, you would sit one-to-one face-to-face -face with your tutor and you would go through what you were up to. Um, wow. And there, so there was nowhere to hide. It probably was good for about 20 to 30 percent of us who went. Mm -hmm. It probably made no difference for another 50 to 60 percent. And it probably failed quite poorly, um, sort of 10 to 20 percent who yeah. didn't respond too well to that. that so it's quite a high pressured environment. But again, mm -hmm. at the time, thinking that maybe um, I'd be um, going the, the, the military route after mm -hmm. university, that wasn't particularly a problem. Yeah, because um, you need that, that pressure, I guess. That's what you think. That, that's what you're preparing mm. for. You know, you're preparing mm. for taking decisions when you're physically mm. or mentally exhausted. So a little bit of pressure over reading the odd textbook at university didn't seem too bad. And obviously, of course, can you talk to that staying fit and how that influenced your ability to, you know, perform academically at that higher level? Sure. I mean, one of the most basic uh, ways in which it had a positive impact was I found if I went for a, whether it was going 
was going running or, mm -hmm. or going rowing first thing in the morning, yeah. um, you got out of bed and you were awake and you were alert and you were able to get into the library and actually function from first yeah. thing. Yeah. Uh, similarly, at the end of the day, if you were uh, tired and you were going to go out and meet friends of an evening mm -hmm. or whatever else, um, it didn't need to be long, but just engaging in a little bit of exercise got you out, get your, got your head out of being in the library, out mm -hmm. of your books, gave you a little bit of time to just decompress, mm -hmm. didn't have to be hard, didn't have to be um, something that you were you know, crossing off on the calendar, yeah. uh, but just a little bit of exercise. And now you were um, ready to engage in a normal social life. So mm -hmm. it, was, it was mentally useful as much as anything else, because otherwise it would have been very easy to just sit in that library yeah. all day long. There was yeah. always another book to read. Mm -hmm. That's what I find like being a self-employed person for, you know, since 2002, it's very easy to just, you know, I can't go for a run because I have these deadlines or I have this, this yes. self-imposed deadlines, many of them, but it's that yeah. really, I actually think I talked to um, Kate about that too. Like just that challenge of where does your uh, work or study or whatever, where does that life, where, how do you draw those lines and say, okay, it's actually really important for, for me also to go and go for a run or go rowing or whatever, because it will enhance this other side as well. Like they all work yeah. together. It makes you more efficient. Mm. It makes you more mm. accurate. It makes you uh, more alert. It's good at all sorts of different levels. And that's only if you're just focusing on, look, I need a dollar sign. I need a reason mm. for doing this that I can mm. you know, put in the account at the end of the month. That yeah. leaves to one side whether you actually enjoy it, which obviously, <laughs> you know, supposed to <laughs> well as humans that's what I was thinking about that today I think if we don't enjoy what we do hmm. even if we don't find elements that we enjoy in what we do then it's very hard to keep that going for a consistent period that you need for results in anything it doesn't matter what yeah. we're doing that's yeah I was thinking about that today anyway okay so yes philosophically aside what you keep saying um because i was thinking of going into the forces you obviously didn't by the tone the yeah so i um i spent my 16th birthday at hmrc limston which is the training ground for the royal marines in the uk mm -hmm. uh, and i was the youngest person doing a course there called arduous training which runs for a week and which is effectively their potential officer uh course yeah and Enjoyed it greatly and was thinking about doing a gap year before I went to university with the Marines and they used mm -hmm. to be able, you used to be able to do that. Um, that unfortunately was abandoned. Uh, the Marines oh. found that not enough people were passing the physical components. If mm -hmm. so, they would come in, do three months and then they wouldn't pass uh, mm -hmm. the Green Beret course, uh, the yeah. commando course, and they'd be no use. Mm -hmm. So they stopped doing that. So I went straight up to university. And whilst I was at university, I thought, well, okay, I'm going to need a job at the end of this. Mm -hmm. uh, and I'm not sure I want to sign on for five years with the Royal Marines, which you had to do at the time. So yeah. I took a look at the regular army and I took a look at the Royal Parachute Regiment, which was a three-year uh, officer uh, mm -hmm. sign-up period. Yeah. And so I went to, as it was, Aldershot. They've moved now, but Aldershot mm -hmm. and trained with them uh, for a little bit. And at the end of university, I had the choice between going that route yeah. And the guy who it was my best man, my best friend did mm -hmm. go that route and he was a medic and he's yeah. spent his time in the forces as a medic. Mm -hmm. My choice would have been to go in as a regular officer, a regular yeah. infantryman. Mm -hmm. And at the end of three years, I'd have had a great time. 
but my degree would be worthless. I'd be three yeah. years older. And how was I going to actually get a long term yeah. career out of this? Yeah. So I had a choice between going that route and doing what I ended up doing, which was going into investment banking. Okay. So I went and became uh, a banker and really never looked back on that. It was a decision yeah. that worked for me. The only time it came up was about oh, eight years into my time working for a bank. I'd moved at that time to Singapore mm -hmm. and a couple of guys in the office wanted to go and run across the Gobi Desert and needed a third person to do it with them. And they looked around the office and said, uh, is there anyone else here who don't, wouldn't mind trekking across the desert in this race? And I said, well, I mean, sure. If it means that nobody can call me on a mobile phone for a whole week. Wow. Yeah. Where do I sign up? Um, so my reintroduction into running for anything other than fitness yeah. really came at that point. And that was the Gobi must have been about 2008. So um, between the two, I'd spent a little bit of time outdoors when I could. But uh, the amount of work that was going on meant that my running was purely for fitness in a, against the backdrop of a job that was 70 to 80 hours every week. And sitting on your, your butt, <laughs> you know, that, the kind of job where you were sitting or you were racing around for meetings or whatever. Absolutely. Quite, Absolutely. Um, quite not uh, physical. <laughs> so yes. <much. laughs> yes. On the other hand, nobody was shooting at me. So it had its, you know, plus size. It has, yeah, that sounds good. Uh, so you, <laughs> you spent time then. Uh, with this banking career how long before you left um england for your, with your banking stuff? so i was almost immediately out of the uk pretty right. much the first thing i did was uh new york so okay. i spent time in new york and mm -hmm. to be fair there was some fun running uh, there with uh one of the other guys on the training program who uh would with me go and run around central park in the mm -hmm. very very wee hours before we were due in the office yeah. it was a great way to see new york because no one else was on the streets yeah. Uh, they were empty. You could run behind the people that were cleaning the streets. So New York was temporarily a beautiful place to be at 5 a.m. Yeah. Um, so did a bit of running in New York, uh, but nothing serious. And after New York, it was to London. From London, yeah. it was to Paris. Back to London. Off to Hong Kong. Off uh -huh. to Singapore, uh -huh. which is where the running starts. Yes. Back to Hong Kong which is when I met Kate Yes. Uh, and then to London and from London, eventually after a bit of a gap uh, out here to Tasmania. Boom. All right. Let's go back yeah. to the start of what is your current running career. I think you, you know, you, that Gobi desert experience yes. sounds like. Yeah. Yep. So how do you go from being an office worker with, I mean, you probably were one of the fitter professional um, office people working in banking around I don't you know you can probably talk to that but I would think um, there wouldn't be that many from what I understand of that it's it's, it's easy not to be put it that mm. way it's easy not to be particularly to be fair to uh, people working out in environments like Hong Kong and Singapore just because a little bit like being in Cairns here the humidity is so high the whole time that the thought of just heading outdoors to do a bit of exercise and certainly for going for a run, it's not as pleasant as if it's, let's say, 17 degrees with a bit of a breeze and you're alongside the ESC. So there are additional barriers out there. Um, but yeah, once you're out there and running, less so in Singapore, more in Hong Kong, and I'm sure Kate would have told you all about it, Hong mm. Kong is a great place to run. Yes. It's got a great trail network. It's got lots of hills and it's a beautiful, beautiful island once mm. you get away from the tiny little bit of city. Mm. Singapore was tougher. Uh, the Having 
the race to go to meant I was very focused on getting healthy enough just to survive it. And I didn't really know what that would mean. So I would commute in Singapore, which is a very flat island, yeah. on tarmac, uh, carrying my rucksack to and from work every day, just to get a sense of, of what it might be like when we hit the desert. And I was relatively fit, but I had no idea what I was doing when we finally got out there. So how, um, how long did you have for that training? Like, we must have had about 10 weeks coming in. Okay. So t- 10 weeks of not really knowing what we were doing, 10 weeks of not really knowing what the race would involve, yeah. and mainly 10 weeks of just trying to get the gear we would need to survive. Mm. Uh, this is, again, back in the early 2000s when you couldn't get dehydrated food easily. Mm. You couldn't really find out what was sensible to take by way of nutrition and gear. Yeah. And Singapore wasn't particularly well equipped for this. So we were trying to mail order lots of essential items in. The result was we had the same food every day for seven days. We had the same breakfast, we had the same lunch, we had the same evening meal because that was the only thing they could import. So I never want to see vegetable noodles ever again, but there we go. (laughs) Uh, So we had 10 weeks to try and get that ready. And then we head out and we find ourselves in Kashgar, which at the time was a very remote bit of China, Mm -hmm. uh, about to set off and run across the Gobi. And we had in our little event, a guy called Dean Kanadzis, who is the ultramarathon man. And he was there with lots of cameras watching his race. And he found himself blown apart by this little South African kid called Ryan Sands, who'd never run a race before and is now a Salomon sponsored athlete who destroyed the field um and we're out in 40 degree heat in the middle of nowhere in china it's stunningly beautiful it really is you're there with about let's say 160 other people but during the day you see none of them you're just putting one foot in front of the other with a rucksack on your back and the rucksack's heavy and it just feels worse as the days go on um but fundamentally Uh, you know that at the end of each day, you're going to be in this little uh, city of tents with a very, very clean, clear sky above you to look at and nothing to do but lie down and hope you'll be recovered to go and do it all again the next day. It It was great. Yeah, um, Yeah, I've spoken to um, to Pat Farmer, Australian ultra running legend, and I asked him why he does some of these silly distances. <laughs> I shouldn't say silly. These long yeah. distances. And he said, in part, he really enjoys the process of a long race and how it breaks down your body, like literally breaks you down. But then by the end of it, um, builds you back up again, like from, from scratch. He kind of described it like that. And I thought it sounded like quite a cathartic experience. Um, I think that's definitely true for a lot of people who oh. do these races. Uh, and if that has worked for Pat, then that is fantastic. For me, I always find when I've got a longer race on the horizon that I stop thinking so much about where the next waypoint is or where the next yeah. point to stop is. For me, I just assume that I'm going to just keep going, mm-hmm. that there is no stop, there is no finish. So long as someone's going to supply me with fluids and calories, I will just keep going. And like a never that's ready it. bunny. <laughs> Well, yeah, (laughs) I mean, more that there's no sense of setting a limitation. Yeah. Because it's not a park run, Mm. you're not seeking to run as fast as you possibly can. Yeah. What you're looking to do is to get to the top of the hill that's over there and see what's on the other side. Mm. 
Mm. And yeah, you can push yourself harder to do that. But fundamentally, you're going to get to the top of the hill to see what's on the other side. That's the point. Mm -hmm. And I really like that. I can do that on and on and on and on and never get bored of it and never really break it down any more than that. So I understand where Pat's coming yeah. from. For me, it's a case of looking off on the horizon, picking a point and saying, I wonder what I'm going to see when I get over there. When you put it that way, it makes me think of you as an explorer, that what you're enjoying is that, you know, you want to explore, you know, where is the next 10K going to take me? Or where is the next steps going to take me? Rather than, I, think, I mean, that makes me sound really far too grand. Uh, no, I mean, I'll, I, settle, I like I'll, I'll settle for curious, but <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, the, but that's 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 the way that I approach hmm. these things. So obviously, you're smart if you think, well, okay, in five kilometers time, I need to stop hmm. and fill up my water flasks yeah. or whatever it is. But that's not the motivation to be there in the first hmm. place, and that's not necessarily what's going through my head uh, while I'm running. Uh, it's a lot more about I wonder what's going to be there when I get there. Uh, there's a lot less thinking about how far is it until I can stop. There's a lot more thinking of what comes next. Okay, which is quite different, as you said, from from what a lot of people have said, that, that you know, it's more about, yeah, for them getting to the end and, you know, there's this kind of thing. <laughs> and enjoying it afterwards, yes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> no, then... I'd, I'd be quite happy if they said there's no real stops. Wow. If these races, so th these races are 250K and you take yeah. your calories with you and then, they supply tents and, and make sure that you can get water, but that's hmm. it. There is a big piece of me that would rather they said, here's where you start, here's where you finish, off you go. Yeah. Uh, rather than saying at the end of the day, here's where you bed down. Yeah. But that probably wouldn't be safe. It would be hard to set a course. There are an enormous number of practical reasons why that's not how these races work. Yeah. But just for me, that's a headspace I quite enjoy being in. That so you just go. You're quite. Um, would you say it's goal orientated when you when you put it that way? Because it's it's not the completion of the race necessarily. That's your ultimate. Yeah, it's goal. It's, the, it's, it's, it's being it's being in movement. That experience. Yeah, I just it. enjoy that being mm. in movement the whole the whole way through. Yeah, mm. I think it operates at different levels. So I think it's great to say in 10 weeks time, I'm going to go off and do this thing. Mm. So what I need to do if I'm going to do this thing well is I'd like to hit the following sorts of stages in my training. Mm. I probably need to acquire these skills. It'd be good if I've spent a little bit of time on my feet to get used to it. So that's where your goal setting comes in. That's where your preparation is. Mm. But the actual experience itself is almost a celebration of all that hard work that's yeah. come before. Yeah. And you don't necessarily want that party to stop, right? <laughs> that is something I've talked about even on this podcast in the past. And that is having, say, finished a marathon in the earlier days when I used to run a few marathons. It was like, oh, this is great. But I just want this feeling that lasts for, you know, I don't know, might even go on for days. But it's that euphoria, like, I know that any minute now and then your brain like it's almost a mental health thing because your brain starts thinking no it's going to finish soon and then you start instead of enjoying the moment and being in present you're already thinking oh no it's almost over <laughs> just <dying. laughs> i don't know it's ridiculous well there's a, there's the, with the racing the planet events which are all these multi-day 250 yeah. kilometer runs in the middle of nowhere the standard experience of the first second or third time finisher is that they will finish this race, they will look at their feet, they will look at the scarring, they will feel all the bumps and the bruises for about mm -hmm. 12 hours, 
they will then get to the after party and about two or three beers in because obviously they've lost all alcohol tolerance over the previous week two or three beers beers in they will move from i am never doing one of these again to how many of these can i sign up for and when do we start and it's really interesting to watch that process in real time knowing it's going to happen Um, is that what happened to you yeah that's quite good fun is that what happened to you so my experience at the end of the first one was I realized how much better I could have done it. Okay. And I don't mean necessarily how much fitter I could have been, yeah. but I just learned so much from the first one. Mm-hmm. Uh, I learned that I needed to spend time on trail if I was going to run on trail and that mm-hmm. running on tarmac in Singapore, however fit I was, that wasn't what the race was going to be like. Mm. Uh, I learned that I needed proper trail shoes instead of trying to do this in a pair of running shoes with mm. <clears throat> a size too big and two pairs of socks. Yeah. <laughs> and I learned a lot more about how I manage my nutrition through yeah. the course of the week. So it wasn't just an intellectual puzzle and it wasn't just that I think I can improve my placing, mm-hmm. but there was a big piece of, I've never done anything quite like this before. I'd like to take everything I've learned and apply it and see how good I could be at doing this. Mm-hmm. P.S. It means I get to go and spend another week in the middle of nowhere in places you can't get to by car or by boat or by plane. Yeah. Uh, and that was a massive attraction as well after the Gobi. And I have to say the Atacama Desert, which was my second, absolutely did not let me down. The Atacama Desert is possibly the most beautiful place on earth. I'm going to sound terribly um, it's where they filmed. Where is it? <laughs> Uh, it's in Chile, Chile. in South America. Mm-hmm. It's where the Daniel Craig James Bond movie that nobody really likes, Quantum of Solace, was filmed. I like all so the James Bond movies. The... Oh, there we go. So it's, no, it's got an enormous, it's got an enormous salt flat in it. Yeah. So mm-hmm. it's not that far from the sea, mm-hmm. such that the sea becomes groundwater about 20, 30, 40, 50 kilometers further in, okay. and it's so dry that over time the salt gets sucked up. So it's like running through dried out coral fields. Oh, wow. Crunchy. And that's <laughs> crunchy. Um, it's got big sand dunes in it. You can run down and it's got some of the clearest skies anywhere on earth because of where the ocean and the mountain ranges are. Okay. So some of the biggest telescopes on earth are in that yeah. desert for that reason. Yeah. So when you're lying around the campfire at night or the campfires have gone out and you're looking up, it is like nothing else. It's like being in a planetarium. It's just spectacular. Wow. <laughs> like I know that you've now then gone on and done like loads more of these. Which we can <laughs> talk about it in a minute, these kind of um, adventures. Hmm. There are other ways to experience those things, but yes. you choose to run through rather than go hiking or, or whatever, you know, all of the other different ways. Why do you think you choose to run through? and have these experiences that way rather than say hiking or some of that some of that's a some of that's a pretty simple practical Mm -hmm. reason that you can do this Mm -hmm. on foot and you can see more when you're running than if you're hiking Mm -hmm. Uh, there certainly a lot of times I've spent a lot of time I've spent out in the Alps you're running around Alpine Trail and you're seeing people who've got enormous packs on and they've got all the clobber and all the Gore-Tex and you realize they're going to spend four days covering a trail you'll cover in one. Yeah. You couldn't cover it in one if you were carrying all the kit they've got. That's so 
part of it's simple access. Part yeah. of it's also where we are in the world. So Kate and I, a couple of years ago, took ourselves up to Norway to learn how to cross-country ski. Mm -hmm. And there's no doubt in my mind that if that was on tap in the way it is in Norway, we would yeah. happily be seeing lots of crazy places on cross-country skis, skis. But yeah. you just can't do that many places in the world, or at least not many places that we've been. We have a so some of it's of just that, availability. We have like yes. this much of <laughs> I, I think if you're John Cannell and you've <laughs> and you've got his background, you can just about get the skis working. I wouldn't have a hope. Yeah. yeah. Um, but that so, so that availability is a, is a big piece of it. Yeah. Um, but I'm sure that as we get older, we will be hiking in these places yeah. where we've been running before just to be out there. Yeah. Just because, you know, describing the clear skies and things like mm. that. I mean, that's what I've experienced, but mostly when I go hiking, not when I've been running because I haven't done these longer distances. I'm yeah. like, yes, I love that too. And that's how I, I get to see. So I, I, I think they're pretty similar things. Mm. I, I do think that. And I think particularly when people start running, having never done it before, in a lot of cases, what you're saying to people is put your shoes on and go for a walk. Mm. And if every now and again, you feel you can move a little bit faster for 60 seconds, do it. Yeah. What you're not yeah. saying is go for a run. You're just saying, if you can get to the crest of that hill to see what's on the other side a little bit quicker, why not? Why not do it? Yeah. And yeah. So it's not it's not for me such a thing of slowing down from a run. It's yeah. just getting out there and seeing mm. what you're going to see a little bit faster than you yeah. otherwise might. So, how many of if you added up how many of these crazy multi-day events that you've done? Uh, for the multi-days, I've mm -hmm. done, I'm going to say, or seven or eight. So I've done the four deserts, mm -hmm. which are the Gobi Desert, the Atacama, the Sahara Desert, and the Antarctic. And the Antarctic, yeah. and, and the Antarctic. And then we've, I've also done one of their races in Patagonia and one in Ecuador. So I think that gets me to seven. Uh, the eighth is going back to... Sorry, that gets me a six. The seventh is going back to Sahara because the first time I did it, I managed to force myself to be medically stopped a day and a half oh. in. Oh. Uh, I We just moved to London and I was training for the Sahara really well. So I was extremely physically fit. But having just moved from Hong Kong to London, I hadn't appreciated that I had lost all of my heat acclimatization. Yeah. So I went out to the Sahara, Sahara had a really good first day was running in the top 10 of the race and feeling good, uh, but I had already crossed the line. My liver and kidneys had not quite figured out what was going on. Yeah. And in 50 degree heat, they didn't like it. And they really didn't like it overnight. Oh, uh, so I, I had a crack at hiking it out the next morning, but um, yeah, was a was a mess. So I had to go back to the Sahara the year after to actually get it done. And it's probably the most cautious I've ever been in a race because I was not willing to go back a third time. Just yeah. wanted to make sure <laughs> that the damn thing got finished. Wow. Uh, so when everyone talks about how beautiful these deserts are, yeah. uh, people tend to say, and of course, the Antarctic is beautiful. And so is the Sahara because it's just a hot version of the Antarctic. These seas of sand go on forever. I'm thinking, no, the Sahara sucks. <laughs> never need to go back to the Sahara ever again. So um, yeah. you've just got that. It's your experience <laughs> talking yes. right there. <laughs> Very specific to me. <laughs> no one else has this problem, but I do not. I can happily never go back there. On a, on a very sort of um, 
basic level. We talk here about, you know, injury and things like that. And mm. that sounds like a time and, and whether we listen to our bodies enough. Yeah. Um, yep. It sounds like that was a time when you did, you know, listen or eventually maybe it took longer than I you. mean, my body was talking to me really quite loudly yeah. <laughs> in the form of in the form of Stop. all sorts of its internal bits and pieces mm. becoming external. Um, yep. Yeah. I, I, one of the issues with the Sahara was that shift mm. in training meant that what I would normally have been listening for in my body, my body wasn't able to signal to me. Yeah. Um, because I spent so long training in hot weather and hot environments in Singapore and in Hong Kong, where you are out running in 35, 45 degree heat so frequently you get used to it. I simply had assumed that when I was hot in the Sahara, my body would be coping with it in the same way. And so I just didn't look at the little flashing bulb on the dashboard because it wasn't normally a problem. Uh, but it was that time round, and ultimately it was a decision taken out of my hands by the medical team, yeah. um, which was, you know, that's what they're there for. And that mm. was great and no harm done um, mm. because that can be quite serious. I mean, we've, we know people who have, um, yeah, been very, very seriously injured on those races from something quite similar. So to yeah. that extent, I'm extremely glad I took the advice and stopped when I did. Mm. Yeah. So um, <laughs> moving forward to right now, <laughs> yes well so i did all those so i did all the multi-day things and then yes. um they they take up a lot of your holiday time right because you can't I just fly so. out to Kashgar. there's no direct flight <laughs> and at the time i had a, a job that would let me take one two-week holiday a year and then everything else was dotted around the place so um i thought well i'm not going to keep spending every holiday going to a different desert if there even are any more I can get to and run across. Yeah. So I started doing single day races. Okay. And the single day races when we were living in Europe tended to be, uh, a lot of them were out in the Alps. Uh, yeah. Some of them were in the Atlas Mountains mm -hmm. and they were a lot of fun. And they are really the backdrop to a lot of the trail races here in Australia. Mm -hmm. So right now, if you're running in Kunanyi Mountain Run in April, yeah. Uh, you'll just have received an email to say that the 68 kilometer race there is now a qualifier for UTMB. Mm -hmm. uh, UTMB is one of the big races out in Chamonix in France. Mm -hmm. um, and I've done those races. So those yeah. were my backyard and they were fantastic. Um, wow. So yes, I went from the multi-days and the 250 kilometer races with a rucksack down to uh, single, ra single stage races where the gun goes and there's a finish line and you don't stop until you get to the finish line. And there's often a mountain in between or two or three. Yes. Yes, ideally. Okay. That's what I enjoy. I enjoy the mountains it, more than anywhere else. Yeah. All right. What, what do you like about the mountains? Is it the uh, what it puts your body through? Like you have to try very hard to go up hills <laughs> uh, and you get a beautiful <laughs> view. Like You do. Quite you do. You get an awful lot of difference. You get an awful lot of different scenery. You get different environments, just at different mm -hmm. heights. Mm -hmm. So you don't have to go very far and you can be by the river in the valley, through the pine forests, up above the pine forests mm -hmm. and just in the scree and up in the snow. Mm -hmm. So I enjoy that a great deal. I also enjoy that if you're not going to spend two weeks going to the middle of a desert, uh, the mountains are a pretty good way of just getting away from any other human contact yeah. so you can feel even though you are pretty safe and even though you do know where the next hut is going to be yeah. but you can feel like you're pretty isolated pretty fast out disconnected. there disconnected 
Yeah. 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 And look, that. all of that sounds very sort of reasonable and rational. The irrational bit is I just love the smell of pine forests when I'm running along a trail in sunshine. Hey, I like that too. It makes you think of Christmas though. Because <laughs> 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 pine, pine trees for Christmas. <laughs> Yeah, well, that's fair enough. Uh, yeah, it, it just reminds me of time out, uh, other trails I've been on and other places I've been running. It's a, uh, yeah, I, I absolutely love that. And you get a fair amount of that around there. Yeah. So. Oh, I imagine. So it, it's still, I guess, for the mere runner like me, yeah. <laughs> I think. No mere about it. Yeah. No, I just think, um, how do you fit? I mean, I've also had five children and, you know, I have run a couple of ultras and, and it's like, and run a business. And it's like, I don't know how I fit yeah. it all in, but I don't know how with a high pressured professional career like yours, which as you said, does take, take a lot of hours um, yeah. in, in the week uh, and very demanding. Plus didn't give you a lot of holidays, how you fit in the training for, because a lot of people get sort of, even if they do think, Oh, maybe I will run an ultra. I've done a marathon now, you know, what's next. Um, yeah. Then they think, gee, just running the marathon wore me out. Like it's not just yeah. finding the time to do it, but it's recovering from the training. That makes yes. Sense? Mm. The, the single biggest piece of advice for someone who's moving up into the ultra world mm. is that you probably want to forget about the super fast or the super hard workouts you might have been doing if you're training for a 5K or a 10K. Mm -hmm. Instead, you're thinking, how good can I get my cardiovascular system? Uh, how efficient can I get my heart working and my lungs working? And for that, you don't need to work particularly hard. You just need to have a lot of easy running. Yeah. And if it's easy running, then the single best thing you can do is find a way of incorporating running into your everyday life. So for me, when I was working ridiculous hours, mm -hmm. my commute in London was on foot. Yeah. So almost all of my training was 10K in the morning, 10K at night, very gently yeah. Uh, very gently done it would still get me home faster than taking the tube would have done <laughs> but yeah and I recognize that Launceston isn't London but well there's, the, there's no public transport here to speak I mean there is but it's not yes <laughs> but lord help us don't take a little scooter uh, <laughs> go, go for a go and go and have that commute as a run yeah. particularly when you do look at longer runs because the sort of time you want on your feet makes it easier to run to work mm. and then run home. Mm. So you're not wondering where the car is and you're not wondering, well, do I get a bus home tonight because I ran in in the morning? So now I have mm. to think about things. If every other day or every two days a week, yeah. you run to and you run home, that's quite a lot of time doing quite a lot of useful mileage. Yeah. And you haven't really paid a price in time for it because you've saved the time you would have been in the car otherwise. Oh. Yeah. I mean, the other thing that happens is you don't find yourself watching a lot of rubbish TV. Yeah, that's a good point. To be honest, that's, that's you know, I'm not saying I don't watch rubbish TV, but I probably watch a lot less than I otherwise would. What do you do for downtime? What What's your down? Like, Running. Is it because you were going to say that? <laughs> okay, you've done all your training for, in a day what, and you've done all the work you need to do or? Yeah, probably... I, so I my... my my world tends to break into three, I guess. Uh, there's the running and the, the fitness and the, the health mm -hmm. side of things. The running, which I genuinely enjoy. It's a complete switch off. Yeah. There's the time I spend at university, which is um, working 
predominantly with with texts with books i'm not in a laboratory i'm doing a phd in literature and philosophy so it's it's a lot of reading and i read for pleasure as well but so there's a lot of sitting down with books or there's a lot of running and then the third piece that launceston has helped out with enormously is just having a social life that is happily engaged with both of those things Uh, lonnie's been a really easy place to meet people after a run in the pub yeah uh, or to equivalently as last night meet up with some colleagues from university and sit around chatting around some of the things that yes we work with these books every day but we enjoy them as well yeah so building a social life that isn't radically different to the things you enjoy doing uh, that's been really helpful yeah Um, and and that that's worked out quite nicely and I'm aware of how lucky Kate and I are Uh, we are extremely privileged in terms of how we're set up financially we're Mm -hmm. extremely privileged in terms of not having caring responsibilities that we have to (laughs) defer to I can actually mine are all grown up now so I (laughs) I used to say I could give you a couple (laughs) that's that's but 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 the but the result is that you then get the time to spend on yourself doing the things you enjoy um and so we're we're very privileged like that but I think what we don't have is we've what we've probably done is we've cut out this stuff that doesn't make us happy yeah so we have cut out watching rubbish tv because it's there and the couch is there and the tv's on i'd probably say what you've done is realize what's not making you happy like because a lot of us you know in in our modern culture think that's making us happy and because we get a little endorphin rush because i don't know whatever it is oh of course entertainment wise and um and then it's later on when hours later because they've been to watch something and you think oh okay I feel like, oh, and you, you get that kind of down. You know, there's this cyclical. I think that's absolutely right. I think that's absolutely nice right. Thing. <laughs> yeah, no, that's completely. Yeah. And, but it, but it also means that when you're having social time with people, that you engage with them. Mm. So your your social time is real social time, and it's really connecting with mm. people you enjoy being with. It's not feeling like, well, you know, they had me round to their house for a cup of tea. Yeah. Now I need to. You know, <laughs> no time for that at Re- all. Reciprocate. <laughs> yes. Yes. So trying to make the most of things and running is a big part of that. Okay. Um, yeah. It, um, it also, it also does help that Kate and I will happily go off uh, and have a bit of a bit of time in Trevallon or going for a run together and we'll enjoy just being together doing that. Yeah, that good. is it. That does help. So you are both uh, now in Tasmania, both studying, doing PhDs. We are. It is, in t- it is down to Kate. Kate is, uh, Kate is the motivated, driven academic. Um, I hope she doesn't mind me putting it like that. But when I was, when I was still working, uh, Kate started doing a bachelor's, sorry, apologies, doing a master of science mm-hmm. in London. Yeah. And it became clear that that was something she was very passionate about. Mm-hmm. So when she looked at doing a PhD, obviously she was an Australian who'd been living in London. We looked mm-hmm. around and uh, thought, where are the good PhD programs for what yeah. she's doing? Australia was definitely one of those sites and UTAS was pretty exceptional as well. So we lifted our heads up and thought, well, okay, we can do that. Out we came. Two years into Kate's PhD, roughly, uh, COVID came along. Yeah. I had just finished doing a master's in English literature and thought, well, we don't know how long COVID's going to last. And if I was ever going to do a PhD, then 
why not do one when I've got to spend a lot of time indoors with nothing but books anyway? <laughs> so tell me about your PhD. I mean, I'm still like, okay, you went from banking to, I know you did the things at, at uh, Oxford. <laughs> like, yeah. My brain is just all those to years ago. Yes. Um, tell me about your PhD. I mean, obviously you're not working, or are you working in banking now or you don't need no. to because you've did all those ridiculous hours for so many years. I, I, I did the hours and when we got the chance to come out here, yep. this was my chance to do something different, whatever that yep. was going to be, and it's turned into a PhD. Mm -hmm. um, I, uh, I'm i doing a PhD in the work of one particular playwright, Tom Stoppard. Yep. Uh -huh. um, for those who don't know his plays, he was also a screenwriter on Indiana Jones and oh. The Last Crusade, the one with Sean Connery. He got an Oscar for Shakespeare in Love, which he wrote the script for. Um, but I work with him predominantly as a playwright and the relationship between his theatre and the philosophy of Ludwig Wittgenstein. So it's okay. quite a particular, there's a Venn diagram and I may be the only person in the middle of it. Um, which when you're doing doctoral research is exactly where you want to be, I keep telling myself. I think, um, sure. <laughs> <laughs> I have a unique, I, ha I will come out of this with a unique skill set. There is not a path to follow. That's what I'm thinking. <laughs> There's not a path like already trod. You're uh, treading that's, the path. That's, that's definitely true. And I think you look at this and you think at the end of it all, do you go into academic teaching? Do you go into academic writing? All of those sorts wow. of things. And right now I'm only at just over a year in. I'm enjoying teaching undergraduates as well as doing my own research. Yeah. I could very happily do that for a very long time. So oh, I'll see that. if I feel the same way when I come to the far end of it. But so far it's been great. And obviously you don't have any problem, as we said earlier, with that, okay, I need to put this book down now because I want, I want to go for a run as well. Yeah, the, you're able to divorce to top up your yes. life in whatever way. How do you do that? Do you, like I've, I'm looking over there because I've got a whiteboard where yep. the week is chopped up and actually do have walking and meditating, running and meditating actually scheduled in my calendar so that oh, I don't put anything else in there. Yeah. So I know that's what I'm going to do, but I'm not everybody yep. organizes themselves like I that. <laughs> For me, I find it really useful to have a distinct space for work. Mm -hmm. So as soon as I could get back onto campus, I've come back onto campus, yeah. not because I necessarily need to interact with lots of people, but because when I've run here or when I've driven here, yeah. this is the space where the work gets done. Mm -hmm. um, in general, I try and keep some consistency. So whether that means that I'm running in the mornings at roughly the same time of day. Yeah whether it means that I try and keep to going to bed at roughly the same time and certainly even more importantly, getting up at the same time yeah. every day just to keep the body clock in a regular rhythm. Yeah. I find that really helps me to focus on whatever the given task is at a time. In yeah. terms of slicing up the day, I agree. It's great sometimes to have a whiteboard mm. to say to yourself, okay, what am I doing now? Right. For the next hour, I'm doing the following thing. And maybe in your case, it's meditation. Maybe for me, it's reading a book. But this is what I'm doing. What I'm not doing is I'm not paying the bills online because I've yeah. already <laughs> done that or because it's written down here that I will do that later on today. Yeah. So yeah, not that's... freeing up your brain so you're not doing 15 things at once is quite helpful. That distraction stuff that we are so... <laughs> It's so prevalent now in our culture and I'm just as guilty. Like I'll be just as, you know, oh, I'll just go, you just said pay the bills and that just what, I'm like, yes, that's what I do all the time. I'm like, 
it's so easy to distract yourself off even the things you really want to do and I suppose yeah. I find that frustrating in my own life and so finding ways for myself to do it and it takes that. a bit of it takes a bit of practice when I stopped working on a trading floor it probably took me a year to work myself back into a, a state where I could read a book okay just sit down and pleasurably read without constantly expecting a distraction yeah because your phone would be going ding and whatever yeah 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 absolutely Let's like before I want to wrap it up a little bit, although I think I could just talk to you for like hours and hours because you're fascinating, very interesting. Um, tell me, like right now, what does your running look like? Like, what are you doing on a regular basis? Have you got a goal? Is there a race that you're heading towards? So I will run Kananyi in April, but the real focus is to try and work towards a 24 hour race. Um, I need there to be one either here in Tasmania towards oh, the end of the year or I'll go on to the mainland. And that is one. where you, you have to, yeah. No, you turn up at a track, yeah. gun goes at 10 a.m., 24 hours ticker. later. I've been the um, person ticking them oh, off. So have fantastic. Yes. <laughs> well, if there is one set up in Tasmania within the next year, I will yeah. be all over it. If there isn't, then I will try and find one on the mainland. Um, I've done the Queensland State Championships before and got oh, third wow. in that, so I might go that's back awesome. to that and try and do a little bit better. But um, that's quite different that's where my from, head's your, at. from your, um, you know, exploring the wilds of different parts of the world. Like that's... to go round and round a track, that is quite different. Yes, yeah. There's a big sense of wanting to know. Well, a little bit like going back to the deserts after Gobi. Yeah. With the track, you get a sense of what could I have been doing better? How could I have been more efficient? quite how far can I go in 24 hours knowing that the distance I cover in that last 30 minutes is just as valuable as the distance I cover yeah. in the first 30 minutes yeah so there's a, a there's a lot of that going on um and that that I find quite exciting what do you think about when you're out there what what the different things I find it time? I I find it really easy to get into a flow state mm -hmm. so I often won't really realize how long I've been out there uh, I have to have a watch that buzzes at me to remind me to oh, eat wow. or drink because I'll lose any sense of any sense of time. I'll just be out there running. Um, what I try and do on every run is even for an easy run, I'll try and spend just one minute in the run thinking about why this session now and what am I doing with this training session? Mm -hmm. So it might be a run where I just want to run easy, but I'll mm -hmm. still spend 60 seconds thinking about my body Am I properly relaxed? Mm. Have I thought about relaxing my shoulders and everything else? Then there'll be some sessions which are, I'm doing them as speed sessions or I'm doing a hill session. And I think very early on in that session, okay, what are we doing today? Okay, I'm doing three uphills, hard, eight minutes, and then I'm jogging down. Okay, what does that feel like? How do I want to execute those uphills? Okay. So I'll be very focused, not for long, yeah. but there will be that point of focus in those runs. Aside from that, I'm happy to just flow and just enjoy, not think. Blank is not really the right word for what's going on in my head. It's 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 different even from that. Yeah. I quite enjoy just looking down at the watch and then realizing, oh, that's been about 45 minutes then, has it? Look at that. Yeah. <laughs> just, time just flew. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> or flowed, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> has um, flown, has flown. Yeah, it has flown. Um what do you, well, one thing I did want to, before uh, we go, I wanted you to reiterate 
the thing that you did last year in Tasmania that nobody else oh. has done as far as you know, because I thought that's kind of cool. That's a cool yeah. So, so last year, obviously tail end of COVID, thinking travel might not happen. Um, I went and ran all of the ultra races in Tasmania in a calendar year. So there, I'm sure there are other people who've done all those races and probably done races that don't exist and have probably run more kilometers and everything else. But as far as I know, at least last year, nobody else ran uh, the Cradle Mountain Run, Tassie Trail Fest 100 miler, uh, the Bruni Island 64, run around Tapu 50k, Rail Trail 50k, uh, Gone Nuts 101, and I've probably forgotten something in there, but at least those ones, which was... Wow, if you're going to set yourself a goal, there you go. There's a challenge yeah. for people. Although if you haven't yeah. already done uh, Gone Nuts or The Cradle this year, you missed out on yeah. that this year. Well, I, I, Amy Lamprecht is killing it, having oh, won Amy's both of them, amazing. right? Yeah. yeah. She's incredible. So we'll see what she does this year. It's great to watch her on the sidelines. Cheer her it on. Is. She's incredible. Um, if you didn't run, hmm. If you hadn't like taken or gone to the Gobi Desert, for example, and taken yeah. on running as you have um, in this part of your life, what do you think your life would be missing? So what is it giving your life, I guess, if you want to, from a positive perspective? Sure. I mean, I, I would hope that if I wasn't running, I'd have found something active to do. Mm -hmm. So I suppose the question is really if it wasn't running, but I was, I don't know, on a road bike or yeah. in the gym, what would I be missing? And I think I'd be missing just the pure joy I find out in the mountains. Yeah. I'm just happy. Mm -hmm. It's not, it's not onerous. I don't need to schedule it in. I just enjoy being out there. And yeah. that sense of just, when you, when you next see a two or a three-year-old kid who's just figured out how to run and they're semi-toddling and they're semi-running across a big green field for the first time, that's, that's kind of me out there and I'm not sure how else you can get that feeling <laughs> well it comes back to what we talked to someone the other day on the podcast and I think there is an innate sense that we were all born to run like obviously some people have had it more challenging for different reasons but I think and when we do get into that flow state um, it just feels right and yeah wonderful <laughs> and you don't need a reason for that right it no. just yeah <laughs> we're just meant to be able to run and so we do yeah. <laughs> and it feels good when we do um it's just yeah. our current um cultural way to exist which is a little bit against that if you if we were all just sitting around watching telly and things like we talked about before and didn't make the time to go out and it's um, unlikely that we evolved to sit in a chair in front of blue light for exactly. 13 hours a day this we is definitely to. true <laughs> for a lot longer in Ella in the history of humans <laughs> we were running away from danger or running wow. towards food or <laughs> whatever absolutely we running um otherwise yeah. we didn't survive so the people yeah. before us uh, our ancestors all were good runners otherwise yeah they wouldn't be our ancestors because they would have got eaten or died of starvation yes. <laughs> Sorry, that's, that's yeah. my theory <laughs> <laughs> And on that happy note, well, there's the, the, the great Chris McDougall uh, book, Born yeah. to Run, mm -hmm. um, which runs through all of that. And it makes sense to me, uh, yeah. the idea that you can keep moving. And that's, uh, that's a happy spot, therefore, to be in. Find a flow. I think we could speak for many hours and maybe we'll need to do a part two. Maybe I'll get both you and Kate on together, actually. <laughs> oh, fantastic. That would be fantastic. <laughs> I would love yeah, that. Find out which of us was telling the truth. I know. That's right. We've set you up. Um, <laughs> 
before we go there, because I unfortunately have a thing to get to, um, I'd love some tips for you, from you for beginner runners. So for beginner runners, I would say three things. Mm -hmm. First thing, every evening, find your trainers and put them by the front door. Just yeah. do that. Mm -hmm. Don't worry about gear. Just put a pair of trainers by the front door. Mm -hmm. Second thing, when you are out of the door with those trainers on your feet, you don't have to run anywhere. But make sure you go out the door for at least 10 minutes. Yeah. And if you're out the door for at least 10 minutes with a pair of trainers on your feet, at some point, you will want to go a little bit quicker. And that is great. <laughs> and then the third thing is, once you've got used to doing that every now and again, um, don't do the same thing twice. So if you walk to the letterbox and back on day one, then walk somewhere else on day two or find yeah. a bit of a path in trail on day three. Because what you don't want as a beginner is to think that running just involves doing the same two yeah. kilometers to and from your front door. Mm -hmm. So if you do those three things, trainers on, out the door, doing something different to yesterday, you'll be right. I love that. Thank you. Not at um, all. Thanks for your time. Before we go and my dog just barked, um, <laughs> <laughs> is there anything about running that you want to throw in before we close up that we haven't sort of covered? No, that pretty much covers it. If you come away from this podcast thinking that running makes people happy, yeah. that's Yay. about as good a <laughs> good a tagline as I can possibly leave you with. It definitely does. Well, I'd like to say a massive thank you for giving me some of your time, Fergus. I do appreciate it. And it was awesome to get to know you. I knew that it would. Um, I will get you in case. <laughs> you're amazing. Anyway, thank you for your time. Don't go. I will say a quick goodbye off the recording as well. But thank you. Thank you for listening to the Fit Mind Fit Body podcast. I'd love to talk to you about your running journey. So send me a message on Facebook or on the website and let's do it. For a bunch of resources on mindful running that will help you get and stay mentally and physically fit, head over to the website fitmindfitbody.co and I'll see you there. Plus, I'll be back here in your podcast player a few times a week. Hit subscribe now so that you don't miss an episode. And before you go, I'd really appreciate it if you'd leave a review. It'll help more people to find the podcast and get inspired to start running. I'll see you soon. Bye.